Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. In our bite-sized third of four installments, Graham McMillan and I return to discuss genuine comic books, Hellboy in Mexico, and the first few issues of DC's Brightest Day. We hope you enjoy it, and thanks for listening. Hello! And hello to our listeners. Hello. Hello, listeners. Um, comics, Jeff. <laughs> that comics, is it, right? Yes. Do you remember comics? I, I, you know. Before I, we talked about Lost in Glee for an hour, we were a comics podcast. I, I do remember that vaguely. <laughs> I'm like, I think we discussed those, right? The worst part is I remember us talking about what we were going to talk about quite clearly. Oh, I can, I can remember. We're going to talk about Brightest Day. Right. Anything uh, else or uh, no? Um, there was something else we were going to talk about. Oh, Hellboy in Mexico. Yes, Hellboy. Hellboy. Start with Hellboy in Mexico, which I've not read, and I, I'm very curious about. Hellboy in Mexico ends up being, um, I, I think, one of the best comics of the year, just by the power of sheer awesomeness. Um, I really run kind of hot and cold on Hellboy comics. They're the sort of things that I can take or leave, and for the most part, I I tend to leave simply because I think they're they're really. They're very long on atmospherics, and then I I feel like sort of character development and things are sort of truncated, you know? So I feel like I'm not the sort of guy who picks... I will pick up a book for just amazing art, but after a while I kind of wander off and not be so interested. And so I never really got so heavily into the Hellboy mythos or the character or whatever. I think he's fine for what he is. But too frequently I, I pick up like a one shot or, or even a story and I feel like there's a lot of lovely graphics but really nowhere to go. And what I think is fascinating about Hellboy in Mexico is that in so many ways it is exactly that Hellboy kind of formula of you know, here's Hellboy stumbling through another mythology mythos in which he gets to punch something. Um, what really is wonderful about it is because he's in Mexico, it takes the 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 masked wrestlers, the luchadors, makes them characters, and the next thing you know, Hellboy is turning around and he's he's slugging it out with a you know devilish masked wrestler. And I guess part of why it works to me so unbelievably well is that idea in itself is enough to to give you a, a somewhat decent issue, but then Richard Corbin's art is just astonishing on it. And I'll go one step further. What really makes it excel is I feel that Dave Stewart's colors on this just give his art like an absolutely unbelievable feel to it. I mean, it's just so... Like, I, I flipped through this comic book, and I was just in awe of some of the pages, just simply from the, the graphics of it. Like, there are shots where it's, you know, a dark landscape that's lit up by headlights, and then the very next panel is, you know, a murdered priest. And the the colors, because the, the Dave Stewart just gives the palette, like, these browns and yellows and golds and then mixes them in really weird places and at really weird times with like bright reds and oranges it it just ends up giving it like an honest to god texture and i mean it's interesting because corbin's work is textured enough as it is but i mean it's just like um 
what's really amazing to me is it's, you know, quote unquote, just a Hellboy comic, which I think for people who are Hellboy fans means that it's a damn good comic. But for someone like me, it ends up being like, like kind of just a, a reinvigoration of it just by having everything come together just perfectly. I mean, it, it is, uh, it's a, you know, $3 and 50 cent one shot. You don't really have to know the characters or any of anyone. It's a, you know, a self-contained story such as it is. Um, and it is just stunning. It does everything that it does everything that you would want from a Hellboy comic, even if you don't want anything from a Hellboy comic. You know what I mean? What I find interesting about that is uh, I find Richard Carbon's art weirdly off-putting. Mm-hmm. And I find Dave Stewart's colors and things like um, Day Trippers mm-hmm. to be just visionary. I think he's such a skillful colorist and such a versatile colorist, uh, depending on who he's working with, mm-hmm. that um, that I really want to pick it up now. I, I want to see Stuart color Corbin. I, I'm just curious about the combination mm-hmm. uh, and to, to see whether Stuart can sort of um, disarm what I dislike about Corbin's artwork. Right. I would be very curious. I would like to believe that it might. It might not. I tend to, to actually have... A a fondness for Corbin's art that doesn't really, you know, it's like a quasi appreciation, but there is a shot here of the, of a, a couple of skulls and uh, I don't want to give it away too much, but Oh my God, I think it is just the perfect marriage of artist and coloring. Um, and it, it just makes it, it really is kind of a, a weirdly sublime comic book, you know, considering it's a comic book about, you know, uh, a big red guy with a fist punching, you know, a demonic um, Mexican wrestler. It's what just I find wonderful. what I find weird about Hellboy is kind of like you. I, I feel like the I think Hellboy does Hellboy comics really, really well. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're looking for something more from Hellboy, you'll never get it. Mm-hmm. I think Hellboy has made this wonderful career out of being such a limited concept, done very well, but in such a limited fashion. Right. Right. Um, but what is weird is that I think Hellboy really sells itself on the art. Mm-hmm. Um, when Mignola left doing the art on a regular basis, I thought that was going to be a good thing because I think he's a wonderful stylist, but I don't think he's, again, I don't think he's actually evolved as an artist mm-hmm. um, in years, in, in the longest time. And don't get me wrong, I really like his art, but I, I don't see any evolution in what he's done. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, when Duncan Fregredo came on board, I was like, that's going to be really good. But Fregredo has been aping Mignola. Mm-hmm. And I can understand why, but if it's like he's, I don't know, it's almost like he's throwing away the good, you know, the, the positive aspects about his own style in order right. to fit Hellboy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Hellboy strikes me as this weird arrested development character. Mm-hmm. So, like, Hellboy is not allowed to evolve, even visually. Right. Um, but that almost doesn't matter, because the people who like Hellboy like it so much, they're perfectly okay with that. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's something to be said for that. I mean, it's kind of, it's, I mean, it's kind of weird in a way that I, I mean, I feel exactly the same way you do. Um, and yet, you know, I mean, honestly, uh, like, looking, looking at some of the... Um, the, the 
the letters page of this particular issue, it sounds like they've been doing something toward moving Hellboy's story along, and they're going to come be wrapping up some big, massive part of the, you know, that answers a lot of the mythology questions and things like that. And I was kind of like, huh, that's sort of, I guess they really are, like, maybe you and I are sort of mistaken because we checked in on the first two or three years of a relatively slow progression that wasn't i remember reading i remember reading into with Mignola where he essentially said like he's trying to wrap up the larger mythology because it had gotten too much for him like he didn't want to constantly have this mythology hanging over the character's head Mm, Uh, and so he's moving towards something where he can do more things like hellboy in mexico because he's just able to do something with the character Um, which strikes me as a a smart move, to be honest. I think you do get into things, especially with long-running characters, where the mythology becomes uh, more important than anything else. Um, And if it starts... Again, like what we're talking about with Lost, actually. Absolutely. When when you start throwing things in just to sort of entertain yourself and keep yourself interested, Mm -hmm. you get to a point where you have to tie it all together. Yeah. Or it becomes everyone is like, well, what does this mean every single time? Right. Um, so I think he's, I think it's a smart move. But but even that, like he ties off. Okay, so he's tying off the, the character's mythology. Mm-hmm. But as a non-reader, I don't care. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. I, I, Hellboy, I think, is one of these characters where, and this is purely for me, because like I said, I know that people like it. And I know that it's got value for a lot of people who aren't me. Um, but it's something where... You can get everything you you can read every single Hellboy story you'll ever need to read in like one Hellboy story. Right. No, I sort of feel the same way, which is why I think that Hellboy in Mexico is great because it may be that one Hellboy story. And what's amazing is I sort of figured that one Hellboy story had already been told, and I'm like, oh no, I think there might be another one, which to me is kind of an idea of like, hey, maybe they'll have more, maybe they won't, maybe this is just sort of a a certain you know, this is the area that strikes my sweet spot. But yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. It's kind of odd that um, even as I find myself sort of uh, really enjoying the weird sort of DC Silver Age stuff like Superman, where the reset button gets hit like kind of comically at the end of every story, not even just every issue, but every story, because there's sometimes more than one. Um that's kind of something that I find sort of amusing now, but I don't have a lot of patience for very static stuff um, when it's something like Hellboy. or I mean, admittedly, I've ended up tuning out on a lot of both DC and Marvel stuff because I, I kind of have like a very weird... Um, I'm in some weird zone now where it's like, if they do something to try and resolve the characters, I feel like they're usually pushing it in a bad direction. And if they don't, I just feel they're spinning their wheels. Um, And for me, I I kind of just went like, okay, well, that's a sign for me to kind of step out of the step out of the ring, you know? Is this where where we now talk about Brightest Day? (laughs) Yes, exactly. So let's talk about Wonderful segue to Brightest Day. Um, so, I am not sure if you read, I want to say it was a Savage Critic, um, you read about Brightest Day and, and my um, nervousness and displeasure about it mm-hmm. with the first issue, or the first issue, which was really the second issue, because yes. they did zero and then one, and really, issue one is really issue two. Um, having read issue two, which is the third issue, just confusing, <laughs> um, I find myself enjoying it, and I have no idea why. Hmm. Nothing has changed. 
mm-hmm. all, all of my misgivings from the second issue, issue one, uh, are still there. And for no reason whatsoever that I can put my finger on, I'm like, I want to see where this goes. I have no idea why. <laughs> um, really? Not, you don't? Yeah. You don't do you I, t- I honestly have no idea why. Mm-hmm. So do you feel that it still feels just as scattered and out of control as the previous issue? Oh, even more so. Uh, do you want me to ruin the cliffhanger of issue two? Absolutely. Dead man who I, now has no powers because he's alive. Right. Has has to fight the anti-monitor. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really the cliffhanger of issue two. He has to fight the anti-monitor. Yes. Like where? Like inside. In In, okay. How's he? Is he in a spacesuit then? No, he, or? He's, he's got the White Lantern ring. That's the, that's the MacGuffin for the series. Oh, oh I see. Okay. So the, he, he has is, no he power. Is one, he is the one person with the White Lantern ring, which teleports him around, but does nothing else. Oh, it protects him in space, but that seems to be like an automatic thing. He's not in control of it, is my point. Oh, I see. Okay. Wow. Uh, huh. Well, that's kind which, of... Which is even more random. I mean... The one, the one sort of step they've given towards it not being random is the um, Aquaman reveal mm-hmm. uh, has now been duplicated with two other characters, uh, which is John Johns, someone who saw he was alive and flipped out the same way that Black Manta did when he found out about Aquaman, uh-huh. and Firestorm is at least part Black Lantern still as well. Is part is still part Black Lantern? You said yeah, yeah. So, I, so you, you sorry, you don't, you haven't read it. So, issue one reveals that Aquaman can't control sea life anymore with these with these telepathic powers, but he can control sea life that is dead, <laughs> which is completely <laughs> ludicrous, right? <laughs> so, all right, but but I mean, by which? So, in other words. Aquaman can't control sea life. He can only control zombie sea life. Yes. No, no, no. To be completely proper, he can reanimate and control zombies. Okay, so that's actually even better. So it's not like he has to stumble across a zombie shark. He no, can actually. No, no. He, he, he somehow can reanimate um, sea life and it will do his bidding and then go back to being unanimated. Huh. So that was the reveal in issue one. Right, and he's like, "What's happening to me?" Um, and then issue two, it turns out that Firestorm is now part Black Lantern Firestorm as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, Black Lantern Firestorm is the one that's in charge. Yeah. Um, which you know, it it feels like they're 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 going somewhere, I guess. Sure. Uh, what's interesting is I don't have the feeling of option to the Firestorm reveal that I did with. The Aquaman one, the Aquaman one, I honestly was like, are you serious? That is a stupid idea. And also, you couldn't just bring him back. Why, like, why did he have to control dead sea life? That That's bizarrely offensive to me. Well, um, right. but where, And, and the so, therefore, is kind of awesome, right? You know? It, it, it really kind of pissed me off. I was like, really? That's what you're doing? Really? Honestly? Really? Um, whereas oh, with, I see. Whereas with Firestorm, I'm kind of, I was kind of like, okay, that kind of makes sense, because he's always been a composite character, so I can buy the part of him is still the Black Lantern Firestorm. 
Well, I guess my problem with that would be like I I rotate. I, I'm the exact opposite of you because the my one of my favorite parts from the Black Lantern uh, from Darkest Night miniseries was the zombie sharks that pop up. You well, know, there, there's a, there's a zombie shark in the first issue. Uh, in the second issue, issue one of Blackest Night. Oh, Brady's there. Right. I, I obviously one just need comes to go out, One just comes out the water and uh, bites someone. Okay, see? Right <laughs> off the bat. No reason. Yeah. Sold and sold. I really have to complain about the comics internet for not making that like a headline so that I knew that I could go buy this comic. Um, but weirdly, the flip version is... The one of the things that I thought was kind of the most repulsive about the Blackest Night miniseries was that whole you know torture killing sequence with but that, but that is why I'm fine with him being back because then they can deal with it. It doesn't get forgotten. Do you know what I mean? I, if the character's still around, if you still have Black Lantern Firestorm, uh-huh. then you can actually deal with the fact that he did that. If you just turn him back into normal Firestorm, then it kind of gets forgotten. Like, no one has to answer for that happening. Well, or, and don't get me wrong. I am not saying in any way that someone will answer for what they did, because sure. mm-hmm. that's not the way DC Comics works. Right. But I like, that's why I like the development. I like the development. It will have to be addressed beyond, like, uh, Jason Rush being sad. Do you know what well, I mean? There's going to be some reference to it. Sure. I mean, you, I, I mean, I sort of think that I, maybe it's too cliche, but the whole idea of like, this is why I'm asking you to be a, a, a hero to kind of, you know, try and um, uh, make for this thing that I wasn't even in control of, you know, seems seems kind of, you know, pleasantly superhero-y to me. The whole I, idea I, of I like... I think that might be where it ends. Sure. Um, but I, it's it's not where I mean it's not even where it's at right now. But the plot right now for Firestorm is essentially something which we now know to be the Black Lantern. Firestorm has forced Ron Raymond and Jason Rush to be Firestorm, and, well, and they can't separate. So, my my uh, let me check with you on something. Is it also in Brightest uh, Day where I, this was something that David Brothers was talking about at the Nerd Brunch? I think. Um, is it true that like Maxwell Lord has a big old like bathtub of? Yes, that's yeah. But that's actually a plot from Generation Lost. From Generation Generation Lost, they had like a guy with a bathtub full of blood for so that he could get transfusions from like all this what he was going to be shooting out of his nose from. Yeah, that that no that scene is in the zero issue of Brightest Day. That's in the zero issue of Brightest Day. Yeah. Okay. That is hilarious, I have to say. But too. like, but that's first. I'm I'm gonna have to go and find out Brightest Day issues here because I'm not entirely sure it was a bathtub full of blood as much as it was meant to be full of ice for him falling in case he overheated. Oh, in case he overheated. Yeah, it's I, no, it, yeah, it's it's not a bathtub full of uh, blood at all. It only comes full of blood when he falls into it and is bleeding. Oh, I see. So just to stop the bleeding, I got the idea that it was all supposed to be transfusions for him. No, he's got transfusion machines. He took the transfusion machines and he falls into this bathtub full of ice. Okay, that's still pretty silly, though. The whole idea that he's, like, planning on losing so much blood, he has to have transfusion machines hooked up to him? Yeah, but this is where me being a DC nerd comes into play. I actually completely understand the logic of that. Really? Like, I mean, I understand the lot, but I think it's just silly. I mean, it's... I mean, you know the whole Maxwell Lord power 
yeah, 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 yeah. His whole like his nose bleeds, and he while he's able to control mentally control. So, so the whole plot of Generation Lost is that what he's doing in Blackest and Brightest Day, where he has all this, mm-hmm. is that he essentially possesses the entire world at once. And that's. Uh, that's and like what... he's putting his like mind powers to the limit. So like, so he doesn't just like bleed out his nose; he bleeds out of every orifice, essentially. Okay, come on! Isn't that hilarious, though, Graham? Yeah, it's, it is hilarious, but like, it makes sense. To me. <laughs> it's, what it's, like. it's like, um, no, but it's one of these things. I was thinking about this the other day that um, when it's mythology you've grown up with, mm-hmm. stupidest things make sense, and then when it's mythology you haven't grown up with, it be something infinitely more. And you're like, well, that's just stupid. That's completely dumb. No, I know. It, admittedly, I, I think that's actually a, a brilliant reason, which is why there are, you know, things that, you know, usually the people, uh, you know, you look down on the, the frivolous things that the next generation uh, seems to think is pretty awesome. Yeah, it, it, but um, no, so yeah, he, he, he wipes out everyone's uh, memory of him, is, is what he's doing. Oh, that's what he uses it for. Yeah. I don't know. That's just so silly, though. Yeah, but it's, it's a MacGuffin. Really? It's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the, 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 the MacGuffins get the old Justice League back together. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I'm, I, I'm not, not going to hang them up, but I'm not going to kill them for it. Right, right, right. No, I, I, I guess it's not that. It's just sort of, I don't know. There's... Maybe it's just me. I just feel like there would have been some other better or or not. I mean, I I it's well, like the I, zombie I, shark. I enjoy the ludicrousness of it, and I have to admit, there's part of me where there's just enough things that sound completely ludicrous about Brightest Day that I've thought maybe I should pick this up. You know here, what I mean? Here, here's the thing that I think convinced me on the second on issue two. The more I think about it, mm-hmm. the Martian Manhunter plot, I think, is is what might have turned me around. Uh-huh. Because I think he's getting a plot that is some that is going to give him more of a purpose than he's had in a long time, which is I think they're I think they're retconning his origin, mm-hmm. um, and giving him a supporting cast that has nothing to do with Black Lanterns. John Jones, it, you said? Yeah, yeah. Um, because they introduced the daughter of the Doctor who brought him to Earth, mm-hmm. who he didn't even know existed. Mm-hmm. Who turns out saw the first saw the experiment that brought him to Earth, but saw the experiment before that that brought another Martian to Earth. Uh-huh. And you know, I can't, that seems constructive in a way that nothing else in Brightest Day has been. Everything mm-hmm. else in Brightest Day has been sort of uh, either complicating or destructive. <laughs> and I think there's something constructive in the the John Jones plot. Interesting. Interesting. I think there's actually going to be a lot of sort of constructive stuff actually in brightest day because i i think that that's that's generally where jeff johns leans it's just sort of i prefer the part where he he ends up relying on the well he gets where things end up being ludicrous as opposed to where things just end up being um unnecessarily violent i don't mind complicated it's just dumbassedly violent kind of gets uh, it just gets old for me after a while you know i mean as somebody who's following his work up to a certain point i just kind of got tired of it then you don't want to pick up issue two because there's a in fact issue one and two both have moments of like extreme violence that I know we're going somewhere but again just turn me off mm, interesting interesting so um do you think that's going to end up being a big contrast with Marvel's heroic age stuff then I'm already confused by Marvel's heroic age <laughs> <laughs>